If you feel unmotivated, burnt out or stuck, you might be outside your comfort zone. I'm life coach Adam Kowalik on a mission to end suffering and this podcast is dedicated to sharing how you indeed can perform, grow and expand until all your goals comfortably fit inside your comfort zone, helping you change the easy way. Coming up on this week's Inside the Comfort Zone. What if we didn't need as much money as we quote-unquote falsely think we need? Imagine how much time, attention and resources we could free up to other more important pursuits. I've come to see that money simply makes us more of who we are. It amplifies what's already there. And when our values are about more than wealth for accumulation's sake, and when we instead live a value-driven life, a life filled with what is intrinsically important to us, we get to live a life of meaning. When are you happy? What makes you happy? There's no denying that money and what it is that money can do often bring happiness. In a study published in Social Indicators Research showed that financial status plays a significant role in people's satisfaction with life, contributing to a 10% variation among participants. Happiness and what makes people happy is highly individualized and what brings happiness to one person might not have the same impact on another. Also, happiness can be influenced by cultural, societal and personal factors. And while money can indeed provide higher levels of security and meet certain psychological needs, it often falls short of fulfilling the needs for connection, relationships, personal development or contribution. It's not uncommon to hear from people with a certain financial status how their success makes them become suspicious of people's motives for hanging out with them, or how their financial success is dependent on their constant worry of money, making them feel isolated and unable to enjoy their status. As an example, 70% of income-earning Americans worry about money regularly, of course, people in countries in Europe worry about money as well, especially in the times we're currently in. And yet, we're some of the wealthiest countries in the world. In a survey called Things That Matter, that writer and minimalist Joshua Becker commissioned for his book by the same title, he found that the respondents to the question, how often does your desire for acquiring more money influence your daily decisions? Almost 70% of respondents said their desire for acquiring more money influences their daily decisions, sometimes frequently or always. This worry can quickly become a distraction away from things more important and meaningful. Not only that, my concern with making wealth and financial status the primary vehicle for happiness is that it makes happiness conditional or contingent. And it makes happiness somewhat exclusive, non-inclusive and unattainable to a great number of people. It literally puts happiness behind a paywall. It becomes a pay-to-play scheme. Not all people on this planet are able to achieve the wealth and financial means to access happiness this way. What a good thing it is then that happiness isn't only one thing and nor is it dependent on money. 
More about this shortly. Recently, I attended a gathering of amazing people at a retreat where we took part in a conversation about human psychological needs. As popularized by Tony Robbins, the needs are certainty, variety, belonging, significance, growth and contribution. The concept is that in general, we're all driven by two primary needs in tandem, which can help explain our values and behaviours. The first four are in a strange dance of tension, as you have certainty and variety who are opposites. Likewise, belonging and significance are each other's opposites. In general, we all have all these needs present within us, and some are simply stronger than others, making them primary driving forces in our lives. And I've heard it being said that mostly these needs stay the same throughout our lives, having our unique mix from birth and or childhood. Personally, I struggle with that thought, that our driving forces must remain the same throughout our lives. Instead, I subscribe to another model of human needs developed by Abraham Maslow called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. I've talked before about the model on an earlier episode of the podcast when I talked about homelessness and housing first initiatives around the world and how this mirrors the practical implementation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, at least from my perspective. Maslow's hierarchy of needs teaches us that as humans we have certain needs that need to be fulfilled and that they are fulfilled in a certain order thereof their hierarchy. In simple terms, we will be more concerned with getting air, water and food, shelter and warmth before we are concerned with picking up a self-help book. The model shows that there are levels or steps to climb to secure all the human needs and that you won't get to the next level until you've secured the previous one. Maslow's original model had five levels. In order, these are the levels. Physical needs like air, water and food. Safety needs, health, shelter, warmth, clothes. Belonging needs, love, connection and social belonging. Esteem needs, individualism, confidence, status and respect. And finally, self-actualization, becoming all you can be, growth and creativity. Later in life, towards the end of his own life, Abraham Maslow realized there are actually six levels to the human needs, and the sixth level being self-transcendence, going beyond oneself, giving back, being in service, and contribution. This is not a small footnote in his model. It changes the whole trajectory of human needs. It means that the highest level of human need and satisfaction is about contribution, selflessness, or even oneness. Whereas the original model stopped at the personal level of becoming the best version of yourself for its own sake. Even though Maslow's hierarchy of needs perhaps fails to explain all the nuances of human behavior and motivation and, and simply isn't a complete model, it's nonetheless a helpful model. More than a half a century later, in 2004, Gianni Pez and Michel Poulain published their demographic research, which later became the basis for Dan Buettner and National Geographic's work called The Blue Zones, which has now been turned into an interesting docu-series on Netflix. 
In the Blue Zones studies, they discovered that what contributed to longevity, people living long lives getting to 100 and beyond, was several factors, but one interesting and surprising factor was what in Okinawa, Japan is called ikigai, which translates to purpose or meaning. What led to people living long and healthy lives was in part due to them having a sense of meaning and social contribution. They were giving back to the community. In other words, self-transcending. To me, Maslow's hierarchy of needs explains why things are the way they are in the world. That if we're stuck on a certain level, it's simply hard or impossible to behave in a different way than what that level enables us to do. What is needed is a climb, a rise in the levels, and from there we're able to be better, do better, give back and make a difference. When you're more concerned with simply surviving, scrambling to feel safe and taken care of, it's hard to be a contributing member of society. Wanting to improve and evolve, to work on one's shortcomings, just isn't a priority when you struggle to make money for rent or to put food on the table. Now, an observant individual could take a look at the hierarchy of needs and assume that for people like me and perhaps you in the West, we should be at the highest levels of the hierarchy, serving the greater good, since we have what it takes to secure each preceding level of need. The hierarchy of needs model shows us that we aren't able to move up until the previous level is safely met. And herein lies the problem. I believe that we've climbed the levels artificially. On the surface, it looks like we belong at the upper levels. But a closer look reveals that in reality, we're still lacking on several levels. For example... Some have big loans, which is allowing them to buy their home, so it seems like the safety level is taken care of. Only, to be able to continue owning the house, one needs to make the loan payments, and for that to be possible, an employment and or an income is required. And if you're not feeling safe at work, or not being fairly compensated, then you might fear losing your home. This Leverage might lead to you having to accept a job or stay at a job that you don't enjoy since it pays the bills and one should be grateful to have a job in times like these. There's of course nothing wrong with what I just pointed out, it's quite common. This example does serve the point that I'm making that things are set up in such a way that we think we should be higher up than we actually are on the hierarchy of needs. Another example is that today we've never been more connected with people all around the world. We have some of the best ways to reach, communicate and connect with like-minded people and people we like thanks to technology. And yet, more and more people are reporting feeling lonely and isolated. Somehow, we're missing the point. And this is all causing more harm than good. So, I am biased. I happen to believe that one of the highest levels of happiness and satisfaction are achieved on the level of self-transcendence when we give back and are of service to others. In the latest episode, I talked about 
a happiness-driven versus value-driven life and how it relates to you feeling good. We all, of course, want to be happy and there's a distinction between being happy or excited and feeling content or being at peace. I once heard someone say that if you want to be happy, go to a party. But if you want to be content, you should meditate. I don't know if that's completely true. However, there's something to be said about the difference between feeling excited and being at peace with things. One happens from what goes on on the outside and the other happens from what goes on inside, inside of you. The hierarchy of needs is mainly depicted as a pyramid and to me, it's like there's two sides of that pyramid. The needs are the same, but on the one side, it's about more, a constant quest for more on each level, which is simultaneously preventing you from actually fully leaving the current level. It creates a sense of scarcity as if there's not enough to go around so that you must hoard it all. And on the other side, the needs are about enough. An understanding that there's a level of enough on each level which allows you to move up the hierarchy in a healthy way. There's a sense of abundance as if there's enough for everyone and someone else having something doesn't mean that less is available for you. Both sides can be scaled, can be climbed, but the experience will vary greatly. One will feel feverish, desperate and filled with fear, and the other will feel complete, loving and filled with gratitude. I'll share a quick tip on how to discover your own way to climb your hierarchy of needs that's really helped me throughout the years. Over 10 years ago, I realized that all I needed to feel happy and fulfilled was five things. Food, shelter, internet, exercise, and relationships. Let me explain internet and relationships. By internet, I mean ways to keep studying, learning and reading and listening to resources that allowed me to grow. By relationships, I mean romantic, family and friendships, interaction and social connection. And I've recently realized there's been a sixth thing that I need and actually have been meeting, but simply wasn't aware of. Service to be of service to others. If you're quick to add things up, you can see the parallels between Maslow's hierarchy of needs and my six things I need to be content. Something I noticed myself a few years ago and that I am convinced is very essential. In their essence, these things don't require a fortune in order to be fulfilled. The perhaps most expensive thing or need is shelter and food. The rest can be acquired for a lot less. And even shelter and food can be made available with far less than one would first think. Henry Thoreau said, All good things are wild and free. And Coco Chanel said, The best things in life are free. The second best things are very, very expensive. You see, when I break it down to these basic functions, like the hierarchy of needs or my six things I need, my fulfillment becomes much easier to achieve and life becomes easy. When what you want is reduced down to its functions rather than the desire, you can often acquire it with way less resources than you originally thought. Take food, for example. If you have little money, then you buy more basic supplies and might have to farm or bake some of your own food. 
You might not be able to have some luxury items that you otherwise would, and you'll still be able to satiate your hunger. Now, if you came into some more money and you spent it towards your food, all of a sudden, you'd be able to buy some more items that you previously had to farm or bake yourself. If you used to buy vegetables, now you can perhaps afford organic instead. And perhaps you're even able to buy some luxury goods. Another example is my take on the internet. When money is tight, the minimum requirement for me would be to have a library card so that I can book a computer with internet access. Had I more money, perhaps I could afford a data plan and a smartphone to access the internet. And had I even more money than that, I could perhaps subscribe to a specific service providing me with all the content that I desired. This way, money acts as an amplifier rather than being a goal, which is often the case. You can try what I shared with you for yourself by looking at anything you want or have and reduce it down to its function or essence and see what the smallest version of that could be. I'll give you one final example. Wanting a Tesla, for example, what's the function? Well, I'd say transportation. What are other means of transportation? For example, a second-hand car, carpooling, buses, electric bikes, bicycles, walking or running. Each version less expensive than the previous. Going back to my version of the pyramid having two sides, one of scarcity and the other one of abundance. When climbing the side of scarcity, it's easy to start looking at money as the vehicle to better climb the levels. And because there's always more money to be made, it can lead me to always think that I should have more and better of all the things available to me on each level. This prevents me from making progress towards what is more satisfying, important and meaningful, according to what I've shared in this conversation. When you're more concerned about making more money than you are about making a difference, you are often too busy to be making a real difference. You're lacking a satisfying sense of purpose and contribution to the people around you. As I mentioned in the beginning of this conversation, in his survey, Things That Matter, Joshua Becker found that about 70% of respondents said that acquiring more money influenced their decisions and was a priority on a daily basis. Which is understandable, since in the same survey to the question, how likely are you to be happier in life if you had more money? 79% of the respondents said they indeed would be happier if they had more money. So despite the fact that you, yes, you, who's listening to this episode right now, most likely are a resident in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, which of course applies to me as well, where we are still very concerned about making more money. Not convinced that you're part of the wealthiest group of people on the planet? Well, the World Bank said in 2017... 9.2% of the world's population lived on less than $1.90 a day. 24.1% of the world lived on less than $3.20 a day. And 43.6% on less than $5.50 a day. You are an intelligent and capable being, having the leisure time and means to listen to this episode right now. 
that and the fact that my podcast statistics are telling me that most of my listeners are in the United States, Sweden, Germany and the UK makes me think that you're better off than a lot of other people. Now, this is not an episode designed to judge or shame you or anyone else. I don't believe in that at all. It is, however, an invitation to raise your awareness and your gaze so that you can notice which level of the hierarchy of needs you're at and perhaps which side of the pyramid you're climbing, the scarcity or the abundance side. As Joshua Becker puts it in his book, Things That Matter, we don't feel stressed about money because we don't have enough. We feel stressed about money because we simply want more of it. Money can quickly become a distraction from the things that you know are important to you, and it can make you climb the hierarchy of needs on the side of scarcity. What if we didn't need as much money as we quote-unquote falsely think we need? Imagine how much time, attention and resources we could free up to other more important pursuits. I've come to see that money simply makes us more of who we are. It amplifies what's already there. And when our values are about more than wealth for accumulation's sake, and when we instead live a value-driven life, a life filled with what is intrinsically important to us, we get to live a life of meaning. It might not always include high highs, elation and ecstasy, but it provides a sense of peace, enoughness, content and connectedness. And this is all available to all of us. It's part of our basic human needs, as identified by Abraham Maslow. I suggest that you invite a new level of happiness into your life by routinely asking yourself the question, how does this serve someone else? It can change how you experience joy and fulfillment in life. Thanks for listening to Inside the Comfort Zone with me, Adam Kowalik, and I'll be back next week with another regular episode. If you like the show, please follow and rate it on Spotify. And if you have a friend who you think should hear what we spoke about today, please share it with them. The best way to get the episode as soon as possible is to subscribe to Inside the Comfort Zone via Spotify or whatever podcast app you like to use. Check out some of the previous episodes by visiting insidethecomfort.zone. Inside the Comfort Zone was brought to you by Adam Kowalik, life coach, speaker and author on a mission to redefine personal and professional development. Thank you for being you and please keep it up. Talk more soon.